Good morning, church, and happy Pentecost Sunday. What a privilege and a joy it is for me to bring you the word this morning. One time, there was a young lady who was growing a vine in her garden. She wanted to grow this particular vine because it was supposed to bear beautiful flowers. But month after month, she would see the vine grow bigger and taller on her fence, but it never bore flowers. Feeling disappointed, one day she was standing there thinking, is it worth it? And just as she was thinking that, her neighbour called from the other side of the fence, what beautiful flowers this vine has. Curious, the young lady looked over the fence and to her surprise and delight, she saw that the vine had grown through the gaps in the fence and had blossom beautiful flowers on the other side of the fence. Do you know our Christian life is like this vine? Sometimes the fruits of our labour is not shown on this side of life, but on the other side of eternity. This morning, I want to talk to you about a group of Christians who were living in a place called Smyrna, and many of them were undergoing great persecution, and for many of them, the fruits of their faithfulness to God will not be seen on this side of earth, but on the other side of eternity. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Revelations chapter 2, and our passage this morning is verse 8 to 11. Our church is currently going through a series of the seven churches of Revelations. Pastor Benny kicked off the series last week with the church of Ephesus, and this morning it is my privilege to bring us through the second church, the church of Smyrna. Revelations chapter 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to persecute you, and you will suffer for 10 days. But be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victim crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Church, join me this morning as I open in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of bringing your word this morning. Lord, words can only go so far. Will you come, Lord, in the full power of your Spirit and the full power of your word to teach us to convict us, and to encourage us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I have three points I want to share with you this morning. My first point is a spiritual enemy. The city of Smyrna was a beautiful harbour city. It was like Ephesus, only bigger and more beautiful. In those days, the region of Turkey was known as Asia, and Smyrna was often referred to as the flower of Asia or the beauty of Asia. Smyrna was also a city that was very zealous for the Lord. In their time, 11 cities bidded for the permission to build a monument to the Emperor Tiberius. And out of the 11 cities, Smyrna was the one that was chosen to build the monument to Tiberius. So they erected this huge monument of the Roman Emperor in the middle of the marketplace. In those days, Roman emperors enjoyed godlike status and people literally had to bow down to worship the emperor. 
The only group of people in Smyrna who were exempted from bowing down to the emperors were the Jews. And that's because Judaism was a formal religion recognized by the Roman authorities. And so the Jews were very protective and proud of this privilege and they became upset when they saw that the Christians were refusing to bow down to the emperor. And so the Jews, out of insecurity and jealousy, they began to slander the Christians to the authorities, resulting in great persecution of the church. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was upset and he referred to them as the synagogue of Satan. These very strong words. If you were a Jew in those days, you will be shocked because to the Jews, they considered themselves God's people as Abraham's descendants. And here God is saying, you are not my people, you belong to Satan. So here, church, is our first lesson of the day, that even though we are Christians, even though we may see and think of ourselves as God's people, we must never act out of insecurity or jealousy because when we do, unknowingly, we do the work of Satan. God's work must be done out of a good heart. That's why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A very good way for us to guard our heart is to recognize who is the real enemy here. In verse 10, Jesus says, the devil will put some of you in prison. He didn't say it is the Jews who will put you in prison. He didn't say the Romans will put you in prison. He said, the devil will put you in prison. There is a Christian hero by the name of Brother Andrew. He's uh, not well known, but he was a wonderful man of God who for most of his life spent his life smuggling Bibles and encouraging the churches across the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union. One time, Brother Andrew was in Albania and he was ministering to a group of pastors and two of the pastors were taken by the police and locked up in prison. After a few days, because there was no real charges, the pastors were let out of prison. But between prison and home, both pastors were mysteriously murdered. Everyone knew who had killed the pastors. And the Christian community was very hurt and many of them became upset, angry, even hateful towards the authorities. When Brother Andrew saw what was going on, he said these words to encourage them. We are not fighting against Muslims or communists. We are fighting against the devil. What a beautiful perspective from a man of God. Even the Apostle Paul himself, who was persecuted to the point of death by the Romans, Paul said these famous words in Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the rulers, against the authorities of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, our battle is not against man who is persecuting us, but against the forces of evil that is manipulating men. One time in the Soviet Union army, there was a private soldier by the name of Ivan Mosiev. Ivan Mosiev was a Christian, and as you can imagine, that did not go down well in the communist army. One winter night when there was a blizzard outside, his superior summoned Mosiev and said to him, Mosiev, renounce your faith. And Mosiev said, I cannot renounce my faith. And they said, if you can't renounce your faith, go and stand outside in the blizzard in summer uniform. So poor Mosiev spent the night outside in the blizzard in summer uniform. And night after night, day after day, they would torture Mosiev, trying to force him to renounce his faith. Mosiev was never angry. He never renounced his faith. He was always kind. He was always cheerful. He was always loving. He was always nice even to those who persecuted him. 
Because of his demeanor, because of how nice he was even despite the persecution, many of his fellow Christians actually turned and became Christians. They gave their life to God and they became Christians. When the superiors of the army saw what was happening, they escalated the torture against Mosiev. They began beating him. They began putting him in fridge for days. They began to pump air until he couldn't breathe. Finally, Mosiev felt in his spirit that the end was near. And he wrote to his family, you will not see me again. Two days later, his family received word that Mosiev had died. They said that Mosiev died on the front lines, but when they saw the body, his heart had been pierced six times. His body head to toe was covered in bruises, and if that was not enough, the body was drowned in water to make sure that he was really dead. Because of his death, because of the persecution that he endured, many, many soldiers became Christians. Even his own commander became a Christian. And his own commander wrote these words, Mosiev died a difficult death, but Mosiev died a Christian. Church, when we are going through persecution, if we are suffering for Jesus, if we start to harbour anger and resentment in us, then God cannot use that situation. People can't see God. But if even in the midst of persecution, we are able to keep our focus right, to realise that our enemy is not the man who is persecuting us, it's not our boss, it's not our neighbour, it's not even our family members, the person who is persecuting us is simply being manipulated by the enemy. Our real enemy is the spiritual enemy. If we can realise that and keep a heart that is loving and kind towards those who persecute us, then even in the midst of persecution, God can use our circumstance for His glory. There is a spiritual enemy. The second point that I want to share with us this morning is that there is a spiritual victory. Jesus says here, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. 10 days doesn't literally mean 10 days. 10 days is a common phrase to mean a short period of time. He goes on to say, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as the victor's crown. In other words, what Jesus is saying is... You will suffer persecution for a short time and after that you will see the victory. To each of the seven churches in Revelations, Jesus presented or introduced himself differently. To the church of Smyrna, Jesus introduced himself as the one who died and came to life again. The reason he used this resurrection example is because the city of Smyrna was one that associated itself with resurrection. A long time ago, even before Paul wrote this letter, a long time ago, Smyrna was destroyed and lay in ruins for a very long time. It was only when Alexander the Great came along and he looked at the port site and he realised this could be a port city, it was a good location, and he ordered the rebuilding of Smyrna. When a Greek philosopher by the name of Aristides saw the restoration of the city, he likened it to a phoenix, a legendary bird in Greek mythology that never dies. It dies and then it will burst back into life again. And so even until today, Smyrna is today Izmir in Turkey, if you were to Google business names, you will find a lot of business names beginning with the word Phoenix. There is Phoenix Tourism, Phoenix Accounting, Phoenix Ac Acupuncture, you know, and uh, lots of businesses beginning with the word Phoenix. Okay? The whole region until today associates itself with resurrection. But here Jesus is saying that I am the one who really died and came back to life. I am really the one who has the victory over death. And for those who are willing to share my cup of suffering, I will share with you this victory of life. When I was a university student once, I went to China for a mission trip and 
the missionary invited us to spend some days with the local underground church pastors to equip them and encourage them. In those days, I didn't know enough to preach the Bible or teach the Bible, but I could play the guitar. So they invited me to teach the local pastors how to play the guitar. Um, I thought that local underground church pastors, like each house church, might have maybe eight or ten members. And so I was thinking, I'm going to a group of uh, small group leaders and I'm going to encourage them as best as I can. But on the first day, I realized that the group of students in my class, they were all zone overseers of entire regions. So each of them would have a thousand to two thousand house churches under their supervision. They were literally pastors of 10,000 to 20,000 people. So I felt very humble and uh, my mindset changed. I began to want to glean from them, to learn from them how to be a Christian. And over the days as I spent time with them, I found out that every single one of these men had suffered terribly for the sake of the gospel. For their faithfulness to Jesus, they had all suffered terribly. If any of us in today's society suffered even half of what these men suffered, we would have PTSD for the rest of our lives. But yet they were there and they were gentle and they were cheerful and they were singing and they were happy. They were always loving, always nice. And one time I commented to a brother, I said, how can you still be so joyful after all that you've suffered? And he said these words to me. He said, brother, we have the victory. One day we will see the victory. It doesn't quite make sense in English, but when he said those words, it was as if the scales fell off my eyes and for a moment I had a glimpse of what victory in heaven looked like. I saw victory in heaven the way this brother saw victory in heaven and it lifted my spirits. It gave me joy. It gave me courage. It made me want to shout the name of Jesus from the mountaintops. I thought of a way to share this analogy with you. Let me give you a parallel analogy. I've always known as a Christian that everything I have is from God. And when I tithe, I'm just giving back to God a portion of what He has already given me. This is a common truth that we often share in church to encourage each other in our giving. But recently, during the time of COVID, I hear from my patients how they lose their entire jobs, businesses that they've been building up their whole lives in a moment is completely destroyed. I hear from them about their relatives in Europe, in Bangladesh, who are dying from COVID, people who have lived good lives with healthy lifestyles. And I realized that despite the best insurance, despite the best lifestyles, if God really wanted to, he could take away everything in an instant. And so the truth that everything I have is from God has taken on a whole new level of uh, depth and meaning during this COVID-19 period. It took a global pandemic to unlock the fullness of this truth to me. In the same way, in the time of persecution, the fullness of the truth of victory is unlocked to a Christian undergoing persecution. There was a man by the name of Nikolai Kamara. He was a thief and he was in prison. But Nikolai Kamara was perplexed and puzzled by this group of people who called themselves Christians. Every day the KJB would come and they would uh, persecute and torture the Christians who seemed to be doing nothing wrong. But despite the very unfair treatment that they were receiving, the Christians were always cheerful. They were always kind. They were always loving and they were always singing. Nikolai Kamara thought, who sings in prison? <laughs> Now, one day he was talking to one of these Christians and he commented to the Christian, I am a lost man. And the Christian said to him, Nikolai, if I have a gold ring 
and I lose my gold ring, what is the gold ring worth? And Nikolai Kamara said, well, the gold ring is still worth a gold ring, and if you lose it, somebody else will find the gold ring. Nikolai, the Christian said, in the same way, if a man is lost, what is the worth of a man? Nikolai Kamara kept quiet, and the Christian said, Nikolai, you are worth full value to Jesus. That is why Jesus came to die for you on the cross. That day, Nikolai Kamara became a Christian. Sometime later, he was released from prison and he joined an underground church. The KGB raided the church one day and captured the pastor of the church. They wanted the pastor to tell them the names of all the church members so that they could persecute all the Christians. But the pastor refused to betray his flock, even despite severe persecution. And one day the KJB said to the pastor, we know how to break you. We have a new tactic. So they went out and the only member that they knew was definitely a member of the church was Nikolai Kamara. So they dragged Nikolai Kamara before the pastor and they held a knife to his eye. And they said to the pastor, if you don't tell us who your church members are, we will dig out this man's eye. The pastor cried and he says, Nikolai, what should I do? And Nikolai Kamara said, do not betray our Lord Jesus. And the KJB dug out his eyes. They spent the rest of the day torturing Nikolai Kamara in front of the pastor. They cut off body part after body part. The last body part that they cut off was his tongue. And when they threatened to cut off his tongue, again, the pastor cried and asked Nikolai, Nikolai, what should I do? And Nikolai Kamara said these words, Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the most glorious day of my life. And then they cut off his tongue and Nikolai Kamara died that day. Can you sense how real the eternal victory with Jesus was to Nikolai Kamara? In China, once there were two young girls, Chin Chin and Ho Siu. Both of them were teenage girls who were in prison awaiting to be executed. The only crime they had committed was attending an underground church. On the day of the execution, they were standing in the square expecting a soldier to come up with a gun to shoot them. No soldier appeared. Instead, it was their pastor who came up with a gun in his hand. The communists had promised the pastor, if you are willing to prove your loyalty to us by shooting these two girls, we will let you go. And so in the last hour, the pastor caved and he agreed to shoot the two girls. When the pastor stood before the two girls, they said to him, Pastor, we want to thank you for telling us about Jesus. We want to thank you for teaching us the Bible and baptizing us in the name of Jesus. Pastor, you have taught us that man can make mistakes in the darkest of times. And if you ever regret what you are about to do, do not despair like Judas, but repent like Peter. May God bless you, Pastor, for all that you have done for us. Today when we go, we go in gratitude. And then the pastor shot the both of them. The pastor shot the both of them, thinking that the communists would let him go. But when he turned around, the communists shot him and he died as well. In one minute, Three believers went into eternity. Two went on rejoicing forever and one went in regretting forever. One minute into eternity and our whole perspective of life will change. We will either regret the way we live or rejoice the way we have lived. Whenever we go through suffering or persecution, fix our eyes not on the suffering of this world but on the victory of eternity. The last point that I want to share with you this morning is what I've titled, Spiritual Wealth. Do you know 
that when Jesus looks at us, Jesus sees us as either rich or poor. It's said here in this passage, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Jesus saw the Christians in Smyrna as rich. Obviously, this is not based on their bank account, but based on their spiritual account. The name Smyrna comes from the root word myrrh. Myrrh literally translates as bitterness. But myrrh was also a very special raisin that was used for the embalming of dead bodies, and it was a precious commodity. So when the three wise men visited baby Jesus, they brought precious gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was of equal value to gold. It was a precious commodity. Now, out of all the pots along the Turkish uh, border, um, Smyrna was the one that had sold importing and distribution rights to myrrh. All myrrh from Greece had to come through Smyrna. That's why it got its name Smyrna. And because there was a very big market for myrrh in those days, because the Egyptians were building pyramids and embalming of the dead, there was a huge market for a precious commodity and myrrh became the source of wealth for the city of Smyrna. So what was meant or what meant Bitterness actually brought great wealth to the city. And that was a beautiful allegory for what was happening to the Christians. Because the persecution that was bitter for them to bear was actually the source of their spiritual wealth. On your screen, you'll see a picture of a tablet with the picture of Jesus on the tablet. This is known as a Fumi E. Fumi means stepping on. And E means picture. So Fumi E literally translates as stepping on a picture. A long time ago in Japan, when they were persecuting Christians, they would lay the Fumi E out on the ground and force everybody to walk over the face of Jesus. The ones who refuse to walk over the face of Jesus will be identified as Christians and they will be taken and thrown into boiling water. Years ago, as a young man, when I first came across this concept or this Fumi-e, it troubled me. And for many days, I thought to myself, if it was me, would I have the courage to stand up for Jesus? Would I have the courage to not disown Jesus and get thrown into boiling water? And I thought about it for many days and I didn't have an answer to myself. And one night, I was thinking about this issue and a movie scene came into my head that kind of answered the question for me or helped me to arrive at an answer for myself. The movie was called The Defender and it was a very old movie by Jet Li. Now, Jet Li was hired by a rich man to be the bodyguard of the rich man's fiance. And the end, the finale of the whole movie is everyone's in the house and they're all shooting at each other and the beautiful girl is standing here. And behind her, the assassin is pointing a gun at her. And we all know he's going to shoot because that's what he's been trying to do the whole movie. In front of the girl, facing her, on her left is her rich fiancé, and on her right is Jet Li, her bodyguard. Now both men can see the assassin behind her, and so both men start running towards her to protect her, from, to take the bullet for her. And then the assassin fires the bullet and the bullet comes out in slow motion, and you can see the fiancé at the last moment turning to protect himself, turning to avoid the bullet. But Jet Li, being the hero, jumps in front of her and takes the bullet and saves the girl. Later, it was explained to the rich man the reason that he dodged the bullet at the last moment is out of instinct. Humans have a self-preservation instinct that will make them dodge a bullet at the last moment. And there I had my answer. If 
I live my life in a way where I always avoid telling people that I'm a Christian. If I avoid showing my identity as a Christian, I live my life and my boss, my colleagues, my friends, nobody knows I'm a Christian, then when the time comes, I may not have the courage to stand up for Jesus. But if every day I'm willing to put Jesus ahead of myself, every day I'm willing to stand up and say, I'm a Christian, and when opportunity arises to tell people about Jesus, then by constant training, if one day persecution was to arrive, I would have the courage to stand up for Jesus. There was a young man by the name of Patrick Hamilton. He lived during the time of the Reformation. He was young, he was good looking, and he was of royalty blood. So he had his whole life set out ahead for him. He was set. But one day he read the Bible and then he read the dissertations of Martin Luther and he became convicted and he became a Christian. The church in those days was a very corrupt church and the church didn't like the fact that Patrick Hamilton had become a Christian so they threw him into prison. They tried to send priests to convert and change his thinking to try and get him to renounce his faith. But Patrick Hamilton's faith was so strong that the priests they sent down to the prison to convert him became converted themselves to Christianity. So at one point, the higher authorities said, enough is enough, let's burn him at the stake. When they tried to burn him at the stake, even though uh, sorry, they were having trouble lighting the fire. So in the last few moments of his life, Patrick Hamilton started sharing the gospel with all the onlookers, shouting it out as loud as he could. Finally, the fire got burning and Patrick Hamilton was burnt at the stake. When he was burning at the stake, one of the onlookers said to the persecutors, the next time you burn someone at the stake, you better do it in the cellar because this man's death has lit the hearts of hundreds of people. And that day when Patrick Hamilton died, literally hundreds of people gave their life to become Christians. Another man who died in a very similar manner was a man by the name of Walter Milne. Walter Milne was burned at the stake for his faith at the age of 83 years old. Walter Milne was also known as the last martyr of Scotland. At the age of 83 years old, when he was tied to the stake and he was burning, he took his last few moments on earth to preach the gospel as loudly as he could. And then he passed away. But on the day that Walter Milne died, literally thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of Scotsmen became Christians. And because of the number of people who became Christians that day, the Scottish government was forced to re-examine and change the rules of persecuting Christians. If not, they would have to literally burn thousands of people at the stake, which was not physically possible. Both of these men went into heaven with great wealth in their spiritual accounts, both of these men would have gone into heaven with a great reward awaiting them. But what I, why I shared their story with you this morning is because I want you to see their focus on earth. Their focus on earth was not on the persecution. Their focus on earth was on salvations for others. As Christians today, our focus is not God persecute me so that I can be rich in heaven. No, our focus is on God give me salvations today. And when the church or a Christian focuses on salvation, persecution will naturally follow. But what I want to do now is to show you something precious from the Bible. When a Christian or the church focuses on salvation, persecution will follow, but the Holy Spirit will also follow. Let me take you through scripture to show you this. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so you can be witnesses. Holy Spirit was given so that the church could be witnesses. The word witness here is the same word martyr, which means to suffer violently for. In other words, Jesus was saying, I will give you the Holy Spirit so that you can witness for me, even to the point of suffering violently for the gospel. John chapter 15 is a chapter where Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for what is to come. He's telling them a lot of truths about the future. John chapter 15, verse 18 to 25 is a passage about persecution. It's in there that we see this famous verse where Jesus says, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So 18 to 25, all about persecution. But what I want to do is draw your attention to verse 26 and 27. What comes right after persecution? Now, in your English Bible, between verse 25 and 26, there is a paragraph break. And there's also a pericope break, means a small heading. But the paragraph and pericope um, separation is man-made. The original text was just one long paragraph. 25, 26, 27 are meant to be read as the same passage all the way down. They are related. And right after persecution in verse 26, Jesus says this, When the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth from the Father, He will testify about me. And you also must testify. Church, don't miss this. In other words, the primary reason that the Holy Spirit was given to the church was to testify for Jesus. The primary reason that the Holy Spirit was given to the church was not to build nice schools and nice hospitals and to do social work and be an NGO. Nothing wrong with those things, but that was not the primary reason that the Holy Spirit was given. The primary reason that the Holy Spirit was given to the church was to testify for Jesus. Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had ascended, there was great persecution against the Christians. The Romans were out on a witch hunt to find and persecute Christians. The Christians were gathered or hiding in the upper room and they were praying. And in the midst of persecution, the day of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes, boom. And the first thing that happens after the Holy Spirit hits the church is that 3,000 people get saved. Can you see the same pattern happening here? Persecution, Holy Spirit, salvations. Acts chapter 8 verse 1, on that day there was a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem and the person who was overseeing this persecution was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. But in the midst of persecution, what is the next thing that happens to Saul of Tarsus? He meets Jesus on the way to Damascus, Holy Spirit falls on him and his identity is changed from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle and the ministry of Paul the Apostle leads many, many, many people to salvation. Can you see the same pattern happening again and again? Persecution, Holy Spirit, salvation. What is really happening here is this. As the church, when I'm trying to advance the kingdom of God by telling people about Jesus, the enemy, the devil will come and he is bigger than me and he will try to stop me by crushing me with persecution. The devil thinks that by crushing the messenger, by persecuting and killing the messenger, the word of God will stop spreading. But what he doesn't realize is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus will equip the church with the Holy Spirit to become even bigger than the enemy and then to crush the enemy under his feet. 
1949, Mao Zedong came into power in China and the Communist Party was uh, born. They immediately began persecuting any religions like Christianity who thought of a higher form of authority. By 1955, the last of the foreign missionaries were expelled from China. And for over two decades, no one knew what was happening to the church in China. The missionaries who left were very worried because at the point when they left in 1955, they knew that the church was undergoing severe persecution. Finally, in the late 70s, the doors to China began to open again and the same missionaries who left went back trying to find out what happened to the church. And to their surprise and their great delight, the church, the underground church had blossomed and had just exploded and there were now millions of Christians in the underground church. Despite persecution, salvations had happened on a large scale. And the same story has repeated itself across time, across history. The early church, the Soviet Union, Africa, Uganda, Nigeria, in South America, Colombia, Mexico, in Southeast Asia, Philippines, and Indonesia. Again and again, wherever the church is being persecuted, the result is that the church will not die, but blossom in salvations. How is it that the same church is able to thrive and have victory over persecution time and time again across time, across cultures. Not by might, not by strength, but by the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't come for the sake of persecution. He came primarily for the sake of salvations. For a very long time, church, the Western church has been blinded by human philosophy. There's this human philosophy that actions speak louder than words. And the church has taken this on board and come up with their own philosophy that is not needed to talk about Jesus. Just live your life as a good Christian. Living your life is more important than talking, which is somewhat true. It has an element of truth because if we say we're Christians, but our life is terrible, then we are not a testimony at all. But yet philosophy would try to convince us that only actions are needed, words are not needed. But the Bible says differently. The Bible teaches us that words are needed. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Words are needed. And if we don't capture this, then as Christians, we could live our whole lives as really good people. And then when we die, our colleagues, our friends and our neighbours and everyone will turn up and they will celebrate what a great person we were, but none of them will mention Jesus. I'm not saying that social works are, and good deeds are not important. These are important as well. When Jesus was on earth, he did a lot of social work actually. He healed the sick. That was medical missions or medical ministry. He taught the people. That was educational ministry. He fed 4,000 people, 5,000 people. He changed water into wine. That was hospitality ministry. Jesus did a lot of social work as well. But while Jesus was doing all this social work, the world loved him. They loved him to the point that when he was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, they took off their cloaks and laid it on the floor so that his donkey wouldn't have to touch the ground. Such high esteem and love they gave Jesus. But once Jesus went into Jerusalem and he started to teach that I am the light of the world, no one comes to the Father except through me. Once he started to teach that he was the Saviour, the tone of people changed and within three days he was crucified on the cross. So when Jesus says that if anyone wants to be my disciples, 
whoever wants to be my disciples, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and follow me. When he says you have to follow me, it's the fullness. It means that, yes, we can do social work like Jesus did, but at some point, we need to also open our mouths to talk and tell people about Jesus. Coming back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. If the church today wants to be powerful, if the church today wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then the church today must also be willing to open our mouths and witness Jesus. I'm coming to the end. Give me five more minutes and I'll wrap this up. I have two things that I want to share with you. The first thing is about a crown. In this passage, when Jesus says, I will give you a victor's crown. There are two words for crown in the New Testament. The first word is diderma. Diderma means royalty crown. It's the kind of crowns that kings and queens wear. You don't have to put in any effort. It's a crown of entitlement. This is not the crown that Jesus is talking about here. The crown that Jesus is talking about here is the crown Stephanos. Stephanos is a crown that signifies great effort to win it. Okay, it's an athlete, it's a picture of an athlete who's running a race like the Olympics and the winner would have a laurel laid around his head and that laurel would be known as the victor's crown, the Stephanos. And do you know the first person to wear a spiritual Stephanos was not the church in Smyrna, it was actually Jesus. When Jesus was bearing his cross, they laid a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. And that crown of thorns is Stephanos. But Jesus took the suffering on the cross and he had the victory of resurrection, victory of life over death. And when Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is that to those who will follow me, I will share with you, I will give you your own Stephanos. You see, it's not those who just acknowledge Jesus who will get the Stephanos. Not everyone will get the Stephanos. It's only those who put in great effort to win it. From the moment that we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we became sons and daughters of the God Most High. We became prince and princesses. And one day when we go to heaven, all of us will have a diderma. But it's only those who not only acknowledge but follow Jesus who will get the Stephanos. One day, all of us will die and one day all of us will cross over into eternity. One minute into eternity and we will either regret or rejoice the way that we have lived this life. It will be the greatest shame for a Christian man to live a good life, give lots of money to charity, do lots of good deeds and cross over into eternity expecting that he would have a Stephanos only to be disappointed and realize that Oh my goodness, I missed it. I missed the whole point and I don't have a Stephanos waiting for me. I missed it. I missed the last command of Jesus to be a witness for him. I missed the whole point of why the Holy Spirit was given to me in the first place. I missed my only chance to bring others into heaven with me. I missed my only chance to have an eternal Stephanos. It will be the biggest shame to live our life and miss the point of or, or miss catching the point of salvations. Church, we must open our mouth to share the gospel. I'll end this morning by sharing with you one story from the Chinese underground church. This is a story that they often share with one another to encourage themselves. There was a, there was a man by the name of Pianhe. 
And Bian He went up to the mountains one day and he found a huge rock that he knew was a piece of jade. It would be the biggest jade that anyone had ever found. Feeling very excited, he brought the jade to present it to the emperor. But when he gave it to the emperor, the emperor looked and only saw a rock. And he thought that Bian He was trying to make fun of him, so he ordered the soldiers to chop off Bian He's left leg. Sometime later, Pian He went back to try and present the same piece of jade to the emperor again. But again, the emperor thought that Pian He was making fun of him and em the emperor ordered the soldiers to chop off Pian He's right leg. Now crippled, Pian He knelt outside the palace, holding the rock with two hands and weeping for three days and three nights. Finally, the emperor relented and he ordered someone to investigate closer. When they polished the rock, they realized it was the most beautiful and rich and biggest piece of jade that the world had ever seen. And the Chinese Christians say this, this is our story. We will bring the gospel again and again to our countrymen and again and again they will persecute us. But one day they will realize that the gospel which we have been trying to give them is the most precious gift of all. We have the victory, one day we will see the victory. Church, as we close this morning, there's only one group of people that I would like to invite for a response. If you're hearing this message and you're not a Christian, you've never accepted Jesus into your life, then can I please share with you for one minute that when Jesus endured the cross, when He endured all that suffering, the victory He won was not for Himself. He didn't need the victory. The victory that Jesus won was for you and for me that our sins might be washed away and never counted against us ever again. Imagine waking up, not having that sense of guilt, not worrying about when the skeletons in our closets will come back to bite us, not worrying about all the wrongs we have done and having this sense that someday something bad is going to happen, not having to wake up and always feel guilty, always apologizing to people, not having the weight of sin on our shoulders or our lives anymore. That is the gift that Jesus gave us when He died on the cross, that by His blood that was shed on the cross, your sins and my sins will be washed away forever, that when God looks down from heaven, all He sees covering us is the blood of Jesus. He will never see your sins and my sins ever again. Friend, if you're listening to this message and something is stirring inside of you, if you feel like saying this morning, yes, I can accept that as truth, then the invitation this morning is, will you accept Jesus as your Saviour? Jesus has already done the deed. He has already paid the price. All that is left is for you and me to accept the gift of salvation that He has given us. Will you accept that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins? In other words, I'm asking you this morning, will you be a Christian this morning? And if your answer to that is yes, then can you join me as I lead you in this prayer? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Nothing I do could ever have erased the wrong that I have done. But your blood that was shed on the cross washed away my sins once and for all. Now my sins are as far from me as east is from west and I will never suffer guilt again. Lord, today I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. Teach me, guide me and keep me in the name of Jesus. Amen.